Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Dung Beater walks into a bar and he says, excuse me, is that still taken? <laughs> I like it and I like Barreto's split second to think about it. There was definitely a delay. I had to. I definitely had to think about it. I thought for a second. I was like, "Have I told the joke wrong? Have I? Have I got the pun wrong?" But no, it was just a delayed response. Nailed it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, Nate. How much I did I enjoy it, though? Is that what you're wondering? Yes. <laughs> we'll explain. We'll explain why my audio is so bad later. <laughs> so jumpy. <laughs> and the delay. And the delay. Okay, okay. There seems to be a significant delay. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll crack on and I'll say that that is an eight, Nate. Nice. Wow. A bit of rhyme as well. Uh, I'll take that. I'm, I'm happy with an eight. I think that works. That works for me. Um, should we briefly talk about where you are, Nate? Because yeah. <laughs> at the moment, yeah, I just want to tell everyone who's listening that all I can see is Nate's eyes. <laughs> no, oh, we've got to leave them, leave them on the edge of their seats for the intro music. Welcome to the Paddock, a podcast featuring stories following Formula One around the world. I'm Lawrence Bretto, F1 correspondent and presenter. And I'm Chris Medland, F1 correspondent at Racer. And I'm Nate Saunders from ESPN. And Nate's title on our call right now is Car Nate, brackets Vroom Vroom. Nate, why? <laughs> I'm in a car currently. I'm trying to get into the spirit of the weekend. Car racing in oh, Italy. Yeah. No, mm. uh, about five minutes before we started this humble pod of ours, I looked through my bag, as one does when they're looking for something that's in their bag, and uh, pulled out the adapter that I have. For the UK, we have uh, sorry for Europe. We have different plugs in the UK because we like to do things differently. Uh, and what I have instead is all of my US plug adapters, not the EU ones. Uh, again, hashtag sorry that we left. Um, <laughs> but, 
But um, so basically, I'm in a situation where I drained my laptop early because I worked a little bit. Um, then I hadn't realized, so went out and just had a lunch with Luke Smith and Matt Q from Autosport. Had a nice little lunch there. Plug. Came back and realized, yeah, little plug. <laughs> um, and I, I'm currently I'm currently off video as well, so. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that was that was just for the benefit of you guys. You, you just got to see my eyes. But basically, I'm now sat in my car because I have to put, plug the USB cord into my car um, because I can't and I can't use the headphones that have a decent microphone on them. So I'm basically just sat here, and there's some people who keep walking past me, and they're like, "Che cosa?" Which is Italian, <laughs> which is Italian for "What are you doing?" Uh, and they're justified to think that because I look like a big melon. Um, but no, see, this is the things, the things we do for the passion of this part. Am I right? The lengths you go to, I mean, you got out there nice and early, yeah. ready to do an on-site pod. I'm not there yet. I fly tomorrow morning. Uh, Beretto's in his hotel, professionally set up. I can see him. I can see his case in the background. Yeah. I can see his headphones. Uh, and I can see a very old car, picture of an old car on the wall. Hmm. Very nice. Uh, so he's also in the spirit of things. But yeah, Nate, you had to go on one better and sit in an actual car. But that's why we might suddenly just laugh every now and then because he keeps just turning his uh, video on when he wants to say something. So these these massive eyes just appear on the call. And that's also why it's del- also... the delay because you'd muted yourself for Pareto to ask you a question. And then you're like, oh, no, I need to undo all that. So... <laughs> and the, the button is quite slow. Like I pushed it with my big fat finger and then it took a second to unmute. So I have an absolute mare here. This is like... The first episode that we did, minus a thousand years, it's like the first podcast ever made. Darren the first it. podcast ever made. <laughs> it's like, so this, this is, we're going to make this and put it on the internet. And Good. then people are going to be able to www.us and they will find it on iTunes and LimeWire and other things that no longer exist. Morpheus. <laughs> but we've come a long way since then, Nate. That's a great segue opportunity. Before I do any reviews, we are currently 65 downloads away from 100,000 downloads of the podcast, <laughs> which, which is pretty pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Beretta wanted to say wow and then couldn't. It was too much effort. I genuinely cannot believe that 100,000 downloads almost of us just chatting has happened. Well, 100,000. By now, I reckon someone listening, there'll have been enough people that have downloaded this episode that we've probably hit it. So I need to like edit it live and keep changing the number. But yeah, good effort. The sad, the sad thing is, we're still about a million listeners or downloads away from your Twitter following matters. So we need to really <laughs> help on that, on that front. Uh, mate, I'm, I am bleeding followers because I haven't been tweeting so much. Having Are you genuinely so. losing... Did you lose followers when you were sick? Because you uh, I don't think? actually know. I haven't looked. I was that's that was savage. Just, if that was just a line for the pod. That is brutal. Um, no, it's still going up. You're fine. You're fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, lads, don't don't <laughs> believe these lies of his. He's doing all right. Nedlin's He's like, I'm bleeding followers. We're going to check later. He's going to be on like two hundred thousand. <laughs> I don't buy it. Well, anyway, I'm going to move up on quickly to the uh, reviews this week because we have two uh, which you. is which is strong that's that's double the number from last week and the <laughs> first one Nate's paid someone for 
someone has definitely been paid for this. Uh, well, the, it comes from only F1s via Apple Podcasts in America. So I, I like I like the uh, username. But the title of the review is five stars, by the way. Woohoo. But the title is by far the best jokes of any F1 podcast, exclamation mark. Already a red flag there, but it gets <laughs> worse. The witty banter of three top F1 journalists offsets Lawrence's stingy praise of what is obviously the most brilliant comedic mind in F1 journalism in the <laughs> series. The, the F1 podcast I look forward to most each week. Thanks, guys. Um, I mean, only F1s. I really hope he paid you a lot for that. I really do. Because, um, yeah, I, I, that does explain things. It explains why Nate actually doesn't have a hotel room and he is sleeping in his car. That's why we're doing this like this. He spent all of his budget on getting someone to post that review. The great thing about this is I just got logged off for this chat and I came back to Lawrence laughing. Having you read the review, so I have no idea what it said. It, at all. You don't know? No. I, I'm going to have to listen back to the episode. Oh, he's going. He's going. <laughs> We're um, losing so. you, Nate. We're losing you. Turn that camera off, boy. We uh, will, yeah. You will hear it. You will hear that review uh, in good time when you actually put in some effort and listen back. And you can maybe you'll be our 100,000th download. That'd be exciting. Uh, the other review you need to settle in for. You might lose this, Nate, because it'll take a while. But it's from Martin Perry, um, which is a name I recognise. Um, which another five star one, and the title is F One In Betweeners. And the review says, if you're a fan of F One and a fan of the In Betweeners, then this is the podcast for you. Yes, I can imagine Lawrence rocking up in the paddock with a brightly coloured briefcase, Chris rolling up in a second hand Fiat, and Nate strutting his moves on the dance floor at the post season party. Uh, not bound by the corporate constraints and structure of other F1 podcasts. It's just freewheeling, authentic chat between three mates, top guys and industry insiders. Chris and Lawrence referring to each other by their surnames. It's a little public schoolboy. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, but don't let that distract you from the star of the show, Nate, with his jokes and 60-second race reviews, although I'm still waiting for the rap. A great listen every week. Now, he's paid for that one as well, hasn't he? Star of the show. I mean, Nate, have you... I'm glad I, I'm glad I signed up to do those reviews now. <laughs> wow big big I week for you Nate chaps do you think week. I'm stingy with my praise of Nate's jokes if anything I thought I was too nice yeah I agree I think I don't think you're harsh enough I think we should respect the reviewers and listeners <laughs> of the podcast and you should give more tens uh, that's my that's just my two cents though which right, is lucky you know... because we're in Europe and that's the currency here <laughs> God. Wow. Oh, Nate. Luckily, those reviews were sent in before that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're done. Um, so there's two, there's two men who I think work for Alfa Romeo's currently circling the car. So I'm just trying to work <laughs> out if I, said, if I said something bad about Bottas last time. Don't think I did. No, but, I'm uh, quite polite. Yeah, I think so. Are they worried about you, Nate? Because you I are stood so. I mean, there in a hoodie. I mean, you probably look pretty dodgy right now. Yeah. Well, one of, them's, one of them's on the phone to Apple, and he's saying, I want to remove my last review I made of the pad hop. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'm seeing it live, and it's not impressive at all. Uh, that's just I think it's highly, tablet. highly impressive that this is done across countries and with one of us in a car. I mean, what more <laughs> can you want? Um, this, is the, yeah, this is, I think this could be the high point and low point simultaneously of the podcast. Yeah. Um, People can let us know. Hashtag more carnate or hashtag less carnate. 
And, uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll this could really out. ruin the show going forward, but we want to be we want to be authentic. Um, on the public schoolboy thing, I've never I've never I guess Saunders isn't a name that people want to say, but yeah, it's never been a thing, has it for me? Like no. with Saunders, what's up? It's just a bit, but it's quite a public schoolboy name, I think. So could there be you go. hashtag hashtag more public school or less public school. Going to break the internet with these. I think so. Uh, well, well, thank you very much for those reviews. We appreciate them. Please yeah. continue to send them in. Even the ones maybe that less... praise Nate. Yeah, I was going to say maybe fewer that praise Nate. No, come on. Come on. <laughs> I think we should have more of those. <laughs> You're sat in a car, Nate. Uh, so the kind of meat of this podcast, though, is not going to oh, be from Nate's just showed us the person outside his car. I wasn't no, paying I need... attention. I was reading someone else. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh! Yeah, they are circling the car. They're very close. I'm worried about you, mate. I'm worried about you. Yeah, someone's going to scratch the chalkboard soon. Oh, they're gone. See, I I, I warned them off. They saw the camera. You are in the right car, mate. Right? I think so. I mean, I did have to. I did have to break in, but I just assumed that's because my keys didn't work. (laughs) weren't working properly. Uh, Full disclaimer. uh, Yeah, Nate did not just. Uh, hijack a car, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to clarify to everyone listening who who works for ESPN. That I have <laughs> um, but yeah, this this week's episode. I mean, not a huge amount has happened since we lasted one. There's there's a few bits involved. So we're going to talk about Imola in a bit, but the first thing we're going to do is we're going to answer some listener questions because Alessandra got in touch, who wanted to know a bit more about what it's like to work as a journalist in F1. So. Uh, if you want to know that, keep listening. If you don't, keep listening because we'll be sad if you don't. Uh, <laughs> but there's there's only five questions, but they're um, some of them are pretty big ones in terms of we could talk for ages. So maybe we'll, we'll bounce around who answers them. Um, but it is generally about what it's like doing our jobs and working the sport, uh, kind of more specifically in our roles. So, Beretta, I'm going to start with you because question number one is: What kind of preparation do you do before race weekends? For example, specific documents that you look for and read about for the upcoming race. Uh, do you do, is, this is m- more important question, do you do any prep? <laughs> I do do some prep, Meadows. You look at me as if I don't do any prep. <laughs> well, your talent, yeah. I just thought it, I thought it just gets like sort of handed to you and said, read this. Oh, how good would it be like if I just turned up one day and like all the information I needed was just sat in front of me? Yeah. That isn't what happens, Meadows. Although I am about to talk about some documents that do get sent to me that I then do read through. <laughs> but that's preparation, though, isn't it? Reading through documents? Yeah. Um, so ahead of every race weekend, I read through all of the team previews that get sent through. I don't know if you guys do that. Um, just to refresh my memory from, um, the, the race before, the race the year before, but also to refresh my memory of what they talk about and their performance the, the week before. And then we've got um, a document that Sean Kelly, virtual stat man, many people may know, who sends uh, through. And I just read that and that kind of informs my weekend um, for the rest. Uh, I'm sorry, Nate has sent a message and I got distracted by it. He said he's enjoying this just as an FYI, Lel. So th- <laughs> thank you for the live feedback, Nate, from the car. Brett <laughs> uh, there we... giving a proper answer and you ruined it. If we have any listeners still, we've lost them, haven't we? Because, because they must just think this is an absolute shambles of a podcast. 
<laughs> I don't just know after I get the two I... best reviews anyone's ever going to send me, <laughs> and I completely hijack things. It's terrible. Again. It's terrible. Sorry, Lazar, you... No, that's okay. Um, I read through that document, and it's just full of um, useful facts and stats that if I do come up with any over the course of the weekend, it's probably because I've got them from that document. And then I do like to watch, like, an edit of the highlights of the race from the year before just uh, to refresh my memory of the track um, and what happened. Um, and then if I've got specific interviews, then obviously I'll do prep for that, and if I know what I'm doing over the course of the weekend, I'll prep for that. I like to over-prep. I'm one of those people. I like to know more than I need, really. How about you, Melissa? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think you need to because a lot of it is spoken. So when you're on telly, you kind of need to have all that knowledge straight away for like at hand so that you can just say it. So when I was doing NBC stuff or if I'm doing radio bits, then, yeah, I'll, I'll prep uh, a bit more. But for written work over a weekend, I don't actually do that much prep. I read some of the re- some of the previews, um, not that many because the quotes in them tend to be pretty dull. And um, I'm more looking at them for like news angles or info that might be in there that's newsworthy. And sometimes they will kind of say something that will kind of twig a question in your mind. So Toto Wolf this week talking about the team working on improvements over uh, the week over the Easter weekend back at the factory. And it's like, you know, OK, so what sort of upgrades are going to see this weekend? That sort of thing. Um, but then I just tend to look at the documents that the FIA send round that come with every race. So track map, uh, kind of power unit components that have been used, that sort of thing, stuff that then could have an impact on the weekend moving forward. But because we then get to speak to teams and drivers on a some on a Thursday, mainly on a Friday morning, I kind of start to react off the back of that. So they might say something that then makes me go and do some research to check kind of the context of it or the importance of it, that sort of thing uh, for when I'm writing. So my research tends to be kind of reactive to um, comments. Obviously, I'll do some in terms of for interviews, like you say, I've got an interview with Alex Albon and an interview with uh, Sergio Perez tomorrow uh, for... Mm-hmm. Uh, Sirius XM. So with Checo, we're going to be talking about Miami. Uh, so I'll be doing a lot of prep about that and his kind of fan base and, and the way that the growth in the US has coincided actually with him being an F1 and then him getting into Red Bull as well. Um, so yeah, I'll be chatting to him about that. Uh, Alex will be a bit more gen- generic about his season so far last year, what he kind of learned from the year on the sidelines and that sort of thing. So yeah, do specific interview prep, but not as much as you, I'd say. What about Nate? This might surprise people for hearing it from the man currently sat in his car because he didn't have the right <laughs> the right plugs for the podcast. But I'm the same as Meadows. I don't I don't do I don't do massive like I don't sit there and revise like it's an exam. I think that when you um when you when you cover it like we do, you you end up getting you kind of I don't know your brain. You just kind of know which narratives are forming. And we talk, we all kind of talk amongst each other enough, don't we? We talk enough work stuff that you kind of end up just kind of knowing what um, what things are being talked about. One thing that is good to do as well is just look back through the things that were said on you know on the Sunday evening um, from different people. I've always found that quite helpful because it just reminds you of like you know there might be a throwaway comment that was made that might you know hint that somebody's thinking of you know like a protest or I don't know something that is a good thing to ask on a Thursday. Um, but yeah, in terms of prep, it's a really good question because I think I think everybody's got used to their own prep now. Like I think when I, when I first started doing this, I prepped a lot better or a lot more, but now now not so much. But I think just making sure you know everything that's going on is the key the key thing. You know, like checking which plugs you brought in your suitcase. <laughs> um, and yeah, just just basic things like that. I would say you, you um, kind of end up building quite a big knowledge base anyway, just from covering the yeah. job over a number of years. 
and you read everything in between without probably realizing that you're reading so we do a lot of reading maybe on the train or in a um in the evening when you've got a few minutes spare you probably absorb a lot much more information and it it that is prep without you sitting down and saying it's prep so i think we just and like nate said we talk a lot beyond this podcast just between us anyway and i'm sure things come up where um you'll discuss things so it's kind of prep without actually prepping so it's not like exam cramming i suppose yeah we're just we're just so plugged into it another plug gag there for you nate um that yeah you kind of always absorbing information and knowledge that at the very least would lead you to then go and um look something up or or look a bit deeper into something or or um prompt the questions you're going to ask that kind of leads on to one of the other questions that come in actually from alessandro which was how do you prepare for one-on-one interviews with drivers so rather than um like just a, a specific couple of minutes on the grid or whatever something that's uh, a longer sit down that might be about a specific topic which nate's frowning away thinking about so i'm gonna ask him first well, it's a good question because I'm speaking to Daniel Ricciardo tomorrow and um, it's a pre, pre-Miami feature. And <clears throat> this is one where I've, I've had, you know, sometimes I think you kind of, we've all done it where you, you have an interview and you're like, this is exactly what I want to talk to this person about. It's not a generic interview. So I want to talk to him a bit more about his winemaking and like the fashion stuff he's been doing away from F1, but also just generally where, you know, America F1 stuff, just three big things to fit into what's probably about a 15 minute interview. So what I used to do, and I used to be really bad at this, was I would think you needed at least two leading questions. So you'd throw really two generic questions into an interview. Uh, and that actually often ruins interviews, I find, because you sometimes ask two questions and drivers are kind of switched on to media stuff. So they'll then give you two answers about, you know, how the weekend's looking. You're like, shit, that's six minutes of my 15 have gone. So now what I tend to do, actually, is I'll sit down, especially if it's a driver who I've got a better rapport with than others i'll say look you know i'm just i want to talk to you about this today um you know if you don't mind and kind of like lead into why i'm interested in it but i think that if your questions are good and informed and if they know that you're talking about something that you've clearly researched then usually the feedback to that's pretty good like i'm not just going to go in and be like so tell me about wine daniel it's going to be like look man i've been looking at the things you've been doing obviously there was the glass decanter which is awesome the first question probably like just how did all that start for you and what you know what got you into it and often I found, and this is this doesn't work for every interview, but if you're really tailoring an interview, sometimes a really throwaway question for the first question is is pretty good because it it's actually how you would ask someone that question down the pub. And I used to be really bad at, and I still am sometimes, like trying to really um, I ask ask a really wordy question. And sometimes you just got to tee someone up. So um, I think as long as you as long as you know the, the the content of what you're asking, I would say the the key is not to over plan the questions is over plan the content if that makes sense because once you know what the content of the, the, the interview is going to be that also helps when you maybe get an answer you weren't expecting if you've written your questions down one two three four five six seven you can't really react to it but you might be like oh that's interesting so tell me about this so planning is an interesting one and i think planning it can be too rigid so yeah definitely plan on the subject not the the way you're going to ask that. sorry not what you're going to ask but like what are you asking about? If that makes sense, I've gone around the I've gone around the point a few times there. But. Yeah, no, I'd agreed like exactly the same thing in that I'd like to try and keep it the planning flexible enough that you're then listening to the answers and can react to them rather than you're working your way through a list of questions because they might say something really cool in the middle or towards the end of an answer, 
and you're just thinking about word for word getting right the next question that you'd written down, which you notice with people when they're nervous doing interviews, they will do this. They're just following their, their script of questions and they're not paying attention to the, the responses that are coming to them. And when there should be something that's really cool to follow up on, they're, they're completely changing tack because that's what the next question is on the list. So I do try and do something similar to Nate in that I'll, I'll make notes around topics rather than actually write out questions. But for some drivers that are just harder in terms of they sometimes give you shorter answers and stuff, I will normally have some more specific questions written down and definitely over-prepare in terms of things to kind of a, talk about in terms of different topics, but B, if it is a specific topic, like with Perez tomorrow, talking about Miami, you must try and work out a few different ways of asking similar questions. Because if they don't give you a very full answer, you kind of want to nudge and, and, and try and get a bit more out of it or just kind of, um, yeah, ensure that there's enough information coming your way that you're, you're finding out what you need to find out. And if they're just in the sort of mood where they're being short with their answers and a bit closed off, it's not always your fault. They could have had a bad day. They could just not be up for it. Their mind might be on something else. But you sometimes need to prod a little bit more. So uh, trying to work out ways of doing that differently is something else I sometimes prep for as well. But they're normally for written ones. Um, Brett, I guess you have to do it slightly differently for a TV one. Yeah, I was going to say that I, I kind of agree with everything that you both guys have said on a written interview i think it's always nice that if you're trying to get one feature out of it give yourself some options that if the idea that you wanted to do they're just not biting that day have a couple of other options because it might just be the third topic you wanted to talk to is what they really want to chat about that day or it really engages them um, and then just go for it just trust your instincts and just have a chat with them i find my best interviews in a from a written perspective when you've got time with them is just to chat and then you can piece together the best bits that you get out of it at the end. I think often if you over prep an interview, like you were saying, Meadows, and you just go for all the things you want to hit, you're missing out on actually trying to get them to tell you what they want to tell you. But you're just trying to get them to tell you what you want them to tell it. Um, I'm confusing myself, but you, you get the idea. Yeah. For a TV interview, I do prep slightly differently for it because often you're trying to you're trying to get them to say a certain thing or um, cover a certain number of topics in a specific time because you're perhaps trying to get a really nice three minute edit out of it so you want to make sure that over the course of the 20 minutes you're talking to them you're going to get um three minutes of gold in an ideal world and obviously the editors can edit around it and, and make it look great but in my head I'm always trying to think I probably need two or three quite killer questions where they're going to succinctly answer the type of thing that we're talking about or we want to hit or the way that we want to present them in this interview so I do prep for them slightly differently but I definitely prep for the person and I think you touched on that as well you know with a, a driver who maybe is renowned for giving short answers I will have a ton of things to, to ask them about whereas if Lance. I go into yeah yeah probably that's <laughs> um whereas with an interview with Daniel if I've got one thing I want to talk about and I know he's probably going to be all right with it I'll probably just go in and be pretty confident that we're going to get we're going to get somewhere with it and we're going to get what we want out of it. So I think those are the two things I do prep for the person and then prep for the style of the interview that, um, that I do. Nice. Look at this is insight. Um, right, there's three more bits to it. Uh, the, this one's another kind of potentially big one, but it, it says, what is the typical routine for you on a race weekend? Because, um, viewers get to see a lot of how the TV interviews go, but what's a weekend like for the written media? So we're not talking TV here, Beretta. Um, and I'm happy to say like, so this year it's changed slightly, but on a Thursday, you tend to get there around lunchtime, 
get yourself a desk in the media center because no one wants to rock up late and be sat in a rubbish place and away from people they like um, and get internet set up or anything you need to do on that front. Then there's normally a couple of media sessions now on a Thursday. So I think this week Ferrari, Haas and Stroll are doing on-site media sessions. So you go to those, you have any pre-arranged interviews that you'd have requested weeks in advance, months in advance for some of them if they're Sort of big names trying to get into their schedule. Um, so you'll go to any of those that you might have been allocated as well. And for those, you normally in the few days before the race, get an email or a WhatsApp saying, is this time okay for you? We're going to uh, allocate 10 minutes here at our hospitality or similar. And then Friday is getting early now because there's the press conferences with all the drivers involved. So four sections uh, with five drivers and they're half an hour each. And we get to ask questions in that if we want to. Personally, I tend to ask fewer questions in that because certainly the first half of it is televised. So by the time the actual session's over and I might have left the media center or the press conference room, that's already been broadcast more than 15 minutes um, that other people might have picked up on your questions. So if I do ask questions in that, it's towards the end of the um, end of the press conference. But again, that gets completely transcribed and published by the FIA as well. So your answer goes around to anyone who wants to access it. So I, I tend to try and save questions for on a Saturday or Sunday when there's other press conferences put on by the teams themselves. And then that's only accessible to the media they've invited. Uh, so Friday becomes quite a quiet day now yeah, in my world. I think probably fairly similar to Nate's as well. Don't know about you, Lawrence, but um, just I know the sprint will be different this weekend. But on a normal weekend, it would be two practice sessions. Just follow them. Just keep an eye on what's going on. Probably write a story or two up from anything interesting that the driver said in the morning and then a reaction piece or two. Uh, for racer in the US in the evening based on how the on-track action's gone. But that's kind of it for a Friday now. Uh, and use that to kind of prep for Saturday when I do some extra writing for F1.com with um, a pre-race uh, kind of strategy guide and a feature that says what to look out for in the race. So stuff that's happened on Friday normally informs some of that. Uh, Saturday isn't the earliest start anymore. Getting for, I think it's FP3 is before the press conference. I'm trying to remember that with the team principals. No, no, no TPs no, are first now, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but even then, that's normally kind of like late morning. So get in. That's quite a good one. The team principals can give you some quite interesting answers to some different topics that are revolving around F1, like Volkswagen interest and things like that. Uh, and then, again, FP3 is just kind of a keep an eye on it session that's informing your expectations for the two competitive ones. But nothing specific needs writing off the back of that in, in my world now. Uh, but there might be something that's happened that then means I can start writing some of the other features because it'll be things like, you know, I don't know, a driver that's got a power unit penalty because they've had to take a new one or um, they've had a bunch of accidents in practice. So they've they've not had the data they need for the race runs and that sort of thing. Uh, then qualifying is, yeah, keep keep close tabs on that. I do a little hit for radio straight after qualifying, just wrapping up in 25 seconds what's happened for to go into the US sports news bulletins. And then... Uh, we sit on a bunch of media sessions in the uh, after qualifying, speak to as many drivers and team bosses as you can to find out how their day's gone, why it went well, why it went badly, what they're expecting from the race, write up reaction stories from that, write up uh, the strategy guide feature after an interview with Mario Isola, who will tell me what the tyres are likely to do, and then write up the F1 feature on what people should be looking out for in the race based on how qualifying's gone and what the drivers and team bosses have said. Uh, and then Sunday morning is normally for both of these. Actually, if there's F2 races on, I'll get in to watch those because you want to see who's doing well in the junior categories. Uh, 
then an hour before the race, basically, is the first time I'm properly, I'll normally do some work, you know, kind of prep for the race um, and try and get things ready so that I have as little to do as possible after the race. Uh, some features even that can be written for the following week, um, I'll make a start on on a Sunday morning because you want to be in early to beat the traffic. But then it'll be in the hour before the race, uh, I go live on radio now and do um, a pre-race show on Sirius XM. And I'll go and try and interview as many people as I can and give my opinion on what's been going on during the weekend, grab people on the grid. Uh, then when the race starts, just sit in front of a TV screen uh, in the media center, make as many notes as possible. Half of them I'm tweeting out as well. Uh, and then when the race finishes, straight back to the paddock, another hour-long live show where you're just trying to grab people on the fly as much as you can and um, get as many interviews because you can also use them for stories later or for use in a, a midweek show we do. And then when that hour is up, uh, just run around to all the other media sessions that are going on and record as many of the media sessions as possible. Head back to the media centre, start writing uh, reaction pieces from what the drivers have said, the team bosses have said, uh, and maybe a feature or two if it if it warrants it, if it's been that busy. So, um, yeah, it kind of, most of it is backloaded from when the sessions end. That's when a lot of our work starts. You kind of have to watch what's going on and then cover it afterwards, if that makes sense. Uh, whereas from a written perspective, that is. Whereas I think when people watch on TV, they think when a TV show ends an hour after the session that that's that. But no, our, we go on for hours after each qualifying and race, almost as long as I've just gone on now with that answer, basically. It was very thorough, Meadows. Like, I'm not sure that Nate or I are going to be able to add anything to that. I mean, Nate's struggling. To I feel like, I feel like, so. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm having a mess still. Uh, I mean, my day Friday is I'm going to try and get out of the car. <laughs> uh, see go from but uh, no that was pretty thorough i think um it is interesting because um less and less of our kind of i suppose schedule is around like a lot of people think that like you've got to do a blow by blow lap by lap account of like practice but for me anyway and i know for you two guys as well it's not really what our publications want so those sessions are really important but yeah you're right it, that's a good way of putting it like front loaded but the work you do at the start of the weekend helps the end of the weekend, basically. Um, so, yeah. Good answer, though, Meadows. I felt like I had to get involved because otherwise I was like, I can't let Meadows answer one whole question himself. <laughs> terrible, I terrible form. Took it and run. Well, then you can answer this next one, Nate, because uh, there's two more questions yes. before we wrap up. Uh, this one is, what are your favourite kinds of stories to write? That's a really good question. That's a really good one. I like more... More left field ones. I was about to joke and say um, ones that aren't about F1, <laughs> but I didn't mean it like that. I mean, like, I quite like stories that are um, just a bit different or, or a human story, like a human side. Um, and I don't know, something that's just a bit, something that's your own is always the best story to write, I think. Something where you're writing from quotes you've got. Um, but yeah, I did, I did a story on... Lando Norris and mental health last year. That was really that's like one that I really I really liked because it was him opening up to a topic. He's opened up a lot, but when you when you get people one on one, they sometimes open up a bit more. Um, and one where I think anything where you where you know you've asked you know good or honest questions and you've got good or honest answers out of it, and you've not written you know you've not tried to write a sensational headline or you've just written here's what was said and I'm going to try and tell the story as best I can. I think that's always the best one. I, I'm I'm not really. I don't really care about the, you know, someone wins wins pole or wins the race and says it was a great race today. I find those, quite, you know, those those are quite standard to do, and you can kind of do them quite robotically. The ones that are really fun to do are the, are basically just, you know, ultimately we all do this because we love it and because sport is fun. So 
telling people that sport is fun, telling people that athletes are, are quirky, complex human beings is always quite interesting. Um, so yeah, I think that does that answer it. I think that does. Yeah, and I'd say the same. Uh, like that, those left field ones, the the human ones, almost uh, are quite fun to do when you feel like you've actually had like an honest response from a person rather than a driver giving you the standard well the car felt like this today type thing and they are important stories still for people to understand how a race weekend might go but yeah when you feel like there's a little bit more um of like the actual person invested in the quotes they're giving you they're always good and obviously yeah exclusive ones where you know no one else has it or you think no one else has it and you get a bit of a buzz from that that you're going to be first and you want to see how it goes down um but also because that gives you a bit of nerves because you don't want anything to be wrong and if you're going to run an exclusive, you're you're triple checking everything. And normally you're softening it a little bit because you're a bit worried about, you know, if, if you go quite hard with it and anything doesn't pan out the way you've been told it will or you expect it to, you're going to look stupid. So, um, yeah, you, you kind of give yourself a bit of an insurance policy like that. But they're always fun to do as well. I miss doing exclusives. I think that's the thing I miss the most having come to Formula One. Um, so I suppose the next best thing is when breaking news happens. So when things stories that I, I i don't know if you guys agree but i think over covid there have been more stories that have broken that have caught people out i suppose maybe because people aren't in the paddocks so they're probably not across stories so much and you know often stories leak out a little bit or people break stories and but i think there have been more stories over the last couple of years that have happened that maybe have caught you off and i just like the buzz of trying to just get something out quickly then write an analysis about it and calling people up and trying to get a bit more detail about it so i like those kind of it's probably from my time working in a newsroom at the BBC that I, I liked that kind of buzz of just having to get things done quickly and working under pressure. And like what you were saying, Meadows, triple checking things, but doing that quickly. Um, I think often a lot of the stuff that we do is formulaic, I guess, just because you want to you want to cover the sport and you want to you want to cover the breath of it. So you do lots of quotes, pieces and and, and covering off every team because you want to give every team a voice. But um, you have a little bit more time to do those kind of things. And it probably doesn't demand the kind of quality of the attention that you need to give a breaking story where you can't get anything wrong because you're trying to do it quickly. And so I think it's that buzz and that excitement. And, and that's what I like. And, and so by default, I miss doing the kind of exclusive stories that I don't really get to do uh, now in this job. Well, then for your final question from Alessandra, which is a quick one, if you can remember, says, have you written a story that did much better or was much bigger than you expected it to be? Um, or much oh, more popular, I guess, yeah. Like kind of maybe did did a lot of hits or, or went a long way on social media, something like that. Nate seems to have one. Oh, Nate, do you want to go? Well, I think, because I'm yeah. not sure. I've got one that jumps out because I remember being in the car with Meadows when I saw all the um, reaction come in. Remember, Meadows, I wrote the Alonso Speak article a few years ago. Yeah, when it was when it was 2018, and it was that year that Fernando Alonso was just kind of was just everything he said to the media was hilarious, and I think I wrote it was basically the art of deciphering Alonso speak because it was a conversation I had with Lawrence Edmondson, my ESPN colleague, during the weekend, and I was like, there could be something to this, and then realised there were quotes from that weekend that fit every like these five topics, so I wrote it, and I thought this would be this would be good filler for the week, but it it just exploded and. The next race in the paddock, like loads of journalists said, are, are really, you know, really liked that piece. And that's actually sometimes really nice is when other journalists come and say they liked what you wrote. Um, or if, you know, if, if teams or even if, if you know, occasionally a driver or whatever might, you know, that, that's, that's much more rare. But, you know, that, that can happen. So that's that's nice. But, yeah, the Alonso speak one was 
was pretty big. And um, I'm still convinced he never he never looked at me again after that that year. I know he doesn't <laughs> like to give. I know he's not great on eye contact, but um, I definitely that's definitely a conspiracy theory, some paranoia in my head that he's never he's never liked me since. But um, to be fair, his quotes were very silly that year, so I don't think it was I don't think it was <laughs> uh, a stretch at all. But that's one for me. Um, but I'm sure there's lots actually. And sometimes sometimes it's worse when you do a story you think is going to be big and no one really bats an eyelid. That happens as well. And sometimes you've just got to accept that that's that's the game. What about you, Meadows? So I'm I'm even looking through right now, like the racer, like top stories from the last couple of months to see if anything jumps out as a surprising big story. Um, and not really. Sometimes like in terms of traffic figures, it's just because it's driven by social media. If it gets a good few retweets or shares and it doesn't have to be a remarkable story, but then it just gets seen by a lot of people and, and you end up with big figures, but not necessarily that that story's gone that far, if that makes sense. Uh, I had one recently, though, on Motorsport Magazine where I just basically criticised uh, Matsupin for the way he played the victim um, ahead of, when would that have been, the second test we are flying out for, I think. And he did his, he did a media call when he announced uh, We Compete as one and, and basically tried to get everyone to feel sorry for him and Russian athletes in the in the current climate. And I just felt like the way he did it, like, there's some truth to some of the stuff he said, but the way he did it, I felt was really tone deaf. So just you know, wrote that opinion. And quite often, I'm, um, I'm, I might seem arrogant, but I'm not arrogant enough to think my opinion really matters that much or anyone's that bothered by it. So when you then see people really kind of get behind you as such, or really, you know, sort of thank you for saying something or um, say nice things about your opinion and a comment piece you've written, uh, that's always nice. So yeah, that one did really well. That one, that one took off um, because I think it just resonated with a lot of people, which I didn't expect. I just thought it was kind of the obvious thing to say because to me it was obvious and that's why I was writing it but uh anything else not really actually it's just it's it's kind of we just write so much as well though I mean write hundreds and hundreds of articles a month really news articles so you you kind of lose track of how each one does or you know which ones do well and which ones don't in terms of compared to what you expect you, you generally just write what you think is newsworthy so um, unless someone comes to you and says wow that did brilliantly you'd be it, it would be strange for you to be writing it if you didn't think it was going to do well in the first place, if that makes sense. If you didn't think it was going to be newsworthy and, and interesting to people, you wouldn't be writing it. Yeah, I'd agree on that because that gives me a get-out-of-jail-free card, then, doesn't it, for not coming up with something. I think I'd probably just pick up on Nate's point. I said the pieces that probably stand out to me are just when people tell me that it's good because I, I think I always hope that what I write is good, but I think it is quite something for someone to take the time to then come to you and say that what they've read is good. So especially if it's someone who is a, it's another journalist or uh, particularly someone that you respect, I think it just means a lot because everyone's writing similar sort of stuff. So I think for people to come over and, and say that kind of thing is, is really nice. It is indeed. And on that note, I'm then going to let you talk about something else that's going to be nice this weekend. The Tifoti. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were lost then. But yeah, we should. We no, should I'm excited. A bit of Ferrari hype train, shouldn't we? I um, I was planning today on the plane over the feature that I'm going to write tomorrow, um, and um, it's very much the Ferrari hype train. I'm so excited about the Ferrari hype train, and having come to him over the last couple of years, and it being quiet because fans haven't been able to to come. It's been quite nice to see a load of fans kind of stretching that street that stretches down to the main entrance 
um, you know, waiting to see drivers on, on the way out um, and a few people in the park kind of peering through the fence. But it's going to be so cool to see fans back this year, but also with the expectation that a Ferrari might win around here. Um, Ferrari used to win here, looking back at the stats, actually, they won here quite a lot with Schumacher in, in, when Imola was last on the calendar. So it's not like it's unheard of for them to, to be successful around here, but um, it will be it will be super cool, I think, to to see Ferrari fans happy again. <laughs> I mean, that's 15 years ago that Schumacher was winning regularly. Um, and as Nate has pointed out on previous editions of the podcast, he picked the year that Schumacher didn't win to come here as a Ferrari fan. Um, but is this going to complete a circle for you then, Nate? If if Leclerc or Sainz win on Sunday, will that finally tick that off your bucket list of what you should have seen back in the early 2000s? Yeah, so I had a conversation with my dad about this, and he seems to think we came to Imola and saw Ferrari win. So <laughs> I'm, now, I'm now confused about which year we came to. Um, and I've done more thinking about it, more more jumping down into my into memory lane. And the year I went to was when Button was on pole, which was 2004. Which Schumacher I'm pretty won, sure didn't he? Schumacher won it, yeah. So <laughs> I think that that story I told previously on the podcast was not true. So I don't know where I got in my head that we'd work. But when you're young, you sometimes forget stuff, don't you? But so... 51% so you, facts. Yeah, exactly. We're so going to have to downgrade that, aren't we? <laughs> it's been alive and well for... I mean, that was 0% fact. Um, <laughs> so just to clarify for everyone listening, I'm currently sat in my car with the phone <laughs> plugged into the car. Uh, don't have any adapters. Going to have to get that tomorrow before going to the circuit. Don't let me forget, chaps. Uh, and I forgot the first race I went to as an F1 fan. So other than that... You're a respected F1 journalist. Yeah, it's been <laughs> great. So when Lawrence said he likes hearing from people he respects, he didn't look at me. Oh, I do look at you because no, you very often tell me about stuff that you've read that is very good. So, which means a lot, mate. So, yeah. Aww. I mean, he's Nate's. I bet you Nate didn't even hear any of that. He's gonna have to listen back to this whole podcast, isn't he? I think. He yeah. He he will be. He will ensure that we actually finally get over that hundred thousand mark just on his own because he'll keep starting and stopping. <laughs> yeah. Mainly because his battery will die every time he tries to listen to it. But never mind. All right, well, that seems like a good enough point as any to uh, call it quits. Let's um, hope that this is a great weekend, whatever happens. Meadows, safe travel over here. Thank uh, you very much. Look forward to seeing you guys luck. tomorrow. Nate, good luck trying to find some power. Um, and if you're still there, I don't know if you're still there. And if you're not, it doesn't matter. Goodbye, Nate. Uh, thanks to anyone <laughs> who's still listening to this podcast. And thank you to everyone who has left a review um, ever during the 100,000 downloads Um or close to 100,000 downloads um, that we've received over the years. Uh, please remember to hit the subscribe button and follow us on our social channels at The Pad Hoc. You can read Nate's work on ESPN.com, Medis' work on Racer.com, and my work on F1.com. We'll do this again very, very soon. Bye. As Nate's not here, I'll do a bye from him. Bye. Network.